millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days, you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. November presents In the Barber's Chair, a podcast dedicated to bring you real cuts and real conversations about men's health. I'm Tim Lovejoy and I'm your host. Movember wants men to take action to live happier, healthier, longer lives and they invest in prostate cancer, testicular cancer, mental health and suicide prevention. Paul, uh, we're in Ted's uh, grooming room so uh, I suppose the first thing we need to discuss is the moustache. Yes. Fine now. Look at that. It's amazing. Thanks, man. Just uh, just did it before I left the left the house. How how long does uh, what? How this much? takes a while. You know, you have a hairstyle, then you've got a beard style, and it takes as long to do your beard as it does to do your hair. So yeah. Sometimes you just can't be bothered with it. And yeah. Like shave it off. But it's in trend at the moment because it's Movember, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And you're here for Movember. Thank you very much. How uh, are you going to keep that now for? forever <laughs> it's a long time apparently but are you going to keep it for it'd probably outlive me wouldn't it yeah it's a good point actually because yeah. it would be forever wouldn't it if you dig up the pharaohs exactly they still got it they still got a beard yeah <laughs> but are you going to do it I mean what are you, what's your thought know, process you know I grew it for I actually had an audition for a film called um, Victoria and Abdul with Jane Judy Dench mm. a few years ago and the moguls had these kinds of moustaches. So I met the director, and I was quite close to getting this part in it. So I thought, all right, let's grow this moustache, and it might help me get the part. Anyway, guess what? What? Didn't get the part. No. So I kept the moustache. <laughs> so, but I'm on this, you know, so... Where are you at, at the moment with your stand-up? Are you, uh, are you out on tour at the moment? or are you, are you Just finished, over? actually, yeah. yeah. I just finished the... Um, Live in it tour. I toured that for almost two years, actually. Yeah. Did about 150 dates across Australia, New Zealand, all across England. Apollo's Wembley Arena. I remember Kim talked to you about Wembley that yeah. time. And um, it just got released on Prime. Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime, yeah. So, Do you think it's in... I've been thinking this more and more at the moment. It's that comedians have become, are the most important people or some of the most important people in the world because when we're all becoming very like our, our moral levels are very high at the moment aren't they we're all mm. you know we're all saints everyone who goes on twitter we're all saints looking on at everybody else trying to find their mistakes and everything it's up to the comics to go right let's bring this back down to earth here and you, there's a lot of shows at the moment like dave Chappelle, mm. uh aziz anzari bill burr a lot of them are having a little poke at woke culture aren't they because because 
and they're the ones who are they're they're what's the word they're pushing back on it which i think you kind of you kind of need a bit of to and fro comics are important because of that yeah i was talking to Chappelle about this last time he was in london just before he recorded that special and he was getting it tight enough um he doesn't really care you know he's almost outside of the entertainment industry to a certain degree aziz was probably more of a woke personality at the time yeah and now he's kind of gone against it because of the backlash he received as was bill burr he almost doesn't care either and it comes from that that kind of um he's a boston comic so that kind of brashness and then doing the circuit in new york with people like patrice o'neill didn't really care about the consequences but now there are consequences there weren't really consequences 10 years ago to your material with the council culture yeah so uh, a lot of people you don't really tend to see it as much in British comedy. Mm. And the three examples you just brought up, there are very few British comics that would take their material to that level or not care about the consequences if they were to do a joke. They're very concerned about what someone might say on Twitter. Why? This is the thing. A lot of them abide by what's happening in the TV, you know, and they want to get booked by certain people. They were, and I don't think that you should be offensive, just be offensive. Yeah. That's not the point. The point is not to be sexist, racist, or homophobic. That's not what I'm saying here. I'm not taking a, a Roy Chubby Brown or Bernard Manning approach here. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? The people yeah. say, oh, you can joke about anything. Yeah, no, yeah. you can't. You, you, you can, but then there's things you shouldn't be able to say. You shouldn't be able to be racist or sexist or homophobic. But you should be able to joke about those topics. But when people hear the certain words about... If you joke about, you mention homophobia, people automatically, oh, stop right there. Don't talk about that. Yeah. Why? This is a cathartic experience and this, is, this should be an outlet where we can, we can voice our concerns about certain issues. Uh, both Dave Chappelle and Susan Zara and Bill Burr on their um, specials all say, this is probably the last special I'll ever do. <laughs> so they're all conscious of the material they're doing. There's going to be, you know, there's going to be a pushback on it. Yeah, I mean... I, I wouldn't say that for Aziz or Bill, but for for Chappelle. He got hammered, didn't he? Chappelle got hammered, but then he got like 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, didn't he, for, from the audience's yeah. perspective, but hammered by the critics. So it's interesting when you see that, the both sides there. Um, he got hammered a lot for the, the hashtag MeToo stuff and his take on it and his take on the Michael Jackson documentary, which is almost the polar opposite of why I, I discussed that with him. I said, I've got the complete opposite approach to you on that topic. Uh, and he said, yeah, so does everyone else. <laughs> so, so. That's, that's pretty cool. You're having chats with Dave Chappelle about, about comedy. It's, How have you become mates with him? It's weird. It's like, I've seemed to bump into him. Like I've been with him in New York. Um, I've been out with him clubbing in London. We've been out clubbing about three or four times. Amazing. Yeah, and and we bumped into each other first time with uh, a mutual friend called Stan Latham who produces his specials. Right. Stan Latham started Deaf Comedy Jam with Russell Simmons years ago. So he came to London and they sent some scouts out who were looking at me for a show called Deaf Comedy Jam. Do you remember this show? No. So Deaf Comedy Jam was like the urban black show on HBO, which was like their version of Live at the Apollo. But right. although they did have Live at the Apollo, this was Deaf, Deaf Comedy Jam. And I was on the, uh, the shortlist to do that show. So Stan came over to England with 
with Chappelle. And this was at the time when he just left Comedy Central. And when he left Comedy Central, everyone thought he'd lost the plot. Do you remember that whole rumor? Yeah, about yeah, it? yeah. And he went off to South Africa. And then he just appeared at a gig in London. It was a black show in London. And I was on that show. And we worked together on that show. You can see it on YouTube, actually. He starts, after the smoking ban, he starts smoking on stage. <laughs> and the security come up to him in a tiny room, you know, not, not much bigger than these rooms here. And uh, he gets into a confrontation with the security because he smokes on stage. But he's got to get a license and say it's part of the performance. Right. So he's one of the only comics in the world. That you can do that. I suppose there's... I, actually, I went to see a theatre production and they're smoking once. Yeah. And and I, and I remember at the time everybody being quite horrified that someone was smoking inside and they must have had a license there. Yeah, I think the first time that happened in London was with, um, w- was with a comic who played Winston Churchill. What was his name? He's died now, actually. His name slips my mind. Um, I don't know. He was, uh, do you remember he used to have the face off with the other comedian? Oh, Mel Smith. Mel Smith did yeah. it. Yeah, Mel Smith was playing Winston Churchill and he was smoking the cigars right, on stage. Okay. And they wouldn't let him. Oh, And okay. then they managed to get the license. License. And okay. that was all created on the theatre. And Chappelle performs in theatre. Yeah. So he says it's part of the performance. That's the way around it. This is totally off topic here, but Russell Simmons, did you get to meet him? Yeah, so Russell I never met. Stan I know really oh. well. So then Stan called me out to LA and I did some shows in LA. Right. that time and so he wanted to produce a few of my specials at the time back then this was years ago so i had to do the laugh factory in the comedy store in la you know those all the big That's black shows mad. yeah and i did um chocolate sundays you can't even get on those kinds of shows these are big black shows in america comedy store and um i remember i was doing the co- and they put the co- the open micers on at the beginning not so while people are coming in so it's the even harder spots and, you know, I'm, I'm doing my set and um, the other guy walks in, what's his name from, he'd just done Bad Boys with the... the Martin Lawrence. Martin Lawrence. Martin, is it Martin yeah. Lawrence? Martin Lawrence. <laughs> yeah. Cut that bit in so okay. I get good. Yeah. <laughs> Martin Lawrence. That's it, Martin Lawrence. <laughs> Martin Lawrence comes and starts sitting down and that's the time after he had a breakdown. So I seem to bump into comics just after their transitional periods. Right. And as soon as they see me perform, their careers rocket back up again. <laughs> so I'm always like a messiah to comedy. What made you um, decide to talk about mental health? Yeah, in the show, it was... Uh, I actually did a few... I started talking about mental health in this show when I wrote it. Like, I had bits on it in 2016 and then started doing the show in 17. What I discuss in this show is what happened to sadness is, is a question I, I bring on, whereas nowadays you're happy or depressed. So is that having more of a detrimental effect when we... Mental health is a very big topic. Yeah. It's not just depression. It's happiness, sadness. It's all different mood, moods that we all have. And it's, um, it's quite important to talk about. But th- it's the social media, which everyone thinks everyone's happy all the time now. Yeah. Because no one puts a picture up of them depressed. But sometimes they do. And then people think they're doing that for likes. So now they're getting rid of the like feature on Instagram. The social media thing has such a huge impact on me. I mm. I I, re- I realize it now that um, even makes me angry sometimes when I listen to sort of some celebrities' virtue signaling mm. or their arguments or or just general people saying stuff. I I find that I actually connected to it emotionally, and it annoys me that I go on it. I, I'm addicted to it. I'm so addicted to my phone. I think. Um 
Instagram and these these platforms are created by people who know how. There's, I think there was someone who worked in MI6 or so. Right. I'm probably wrong there, but with a company that know how to get you addicted to things. Right. See the addiction element there. Like sometimes you'd want to reach for your phone. I do a joke in the in in this special about it. It's like a fridge, you know. Looking at Instagram is like a fridge because. You look at Instagram, you close Instagram, a minute later you open up Instagram, forgetting you just looked at Instagram. <laughs> yeah. You just the, looked at it. Yeah. You know, you open the fridge and you think, yeah. well, I've just, I looked for some food and I don't want that food, yeah. but you just keep on looking. Yeah. And it's an element of that to it. So it's got that kind of, and apparently the endorphins that are created when you get a like, yeah. it's like, it, it's like having chocolate or something, mm. isn't it? It gives you a certain hit. Apparently there's a reward even just by looking at it. Your mm. brain rewards you because something something stimulates you like whatever you're interested in, a car or a nice moustache or something, mm. whatever it is, it, you apparently will get a kick and it's like, yeah. oh, I like that. So you keep going back to get your, your, your kicks going. So Instant gram. Yeah. You know. um, have you been depressed? At the moment, uh, yeah. yeah there's, there's points where you're up, you're down. But people think a comedian, you know, you're happy. You must be a barrel of laughs to be around. You know, everyone says that. Oh, it must, it must be amazing being your friend. Yeah. So now, nah, mate, it's the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> this stuff comes from darkness. <laughs> this stuff comes from pain. This some, you know, it comes from solitude. And yeah. um, to a certain degree, comics are loners. It's years of solitude and solitary confinement. Not in a cell, but in your own head, which creates the material. And then it's, it's a cathartic experience to share that with a room full of strangers but then you need approval by a room full of strangers from people you'd never even met before so it's a strange um i think jerry seinfeld said comedians are the only people in the room facing the wrong way <laughs> <laughs> uh jeff self-doubts when you've written the material though always you, yeah always self-doubt and it's the biggest hit you get is when you perform a new joke in front of a hundred people if that than when you perform that joke for the 50th time at Wembley Arena. Because when you think, you've just created something. You've created, this one of your little babies that you've created. You've brought a joke to life. And there's nothing like that, that instant hit you get from a joke. You can't get that from a film. You do test screenings and, mm. you, and then you take that bit out. But with stand-up, it's an immediate, it's an immediate reaction. What you're doing though is something which is so magical really you're there's a room full of people however many up to arena size uh, in your case and then you're making all those people laugh mm. uh, which must be feel amazingly powerful and then you walk off stage and it's all gone yeah. <laughs> that must there must be a you know i remember johnny wilkinson saying when he won the world cup um rugby it was a depression afterwards because like, I've done it. No, you've made Wembley Arena laugh. You've done yeah. it. What happens when you walk off stage? Well, you walk off and then you go to um, some dump the next night, you know, which <laughs> happened. Actually, the next night after that, funny you should say that, I went to Lowestoft. I think I discussed this. I'm not sure if I did discuss this on, on your show. <laughs> Lowestoft the next night. It wasn't very busy. It wasn't... No offense if you're from Lower Stoff. Needless to say, but it's a bit I don't even dumb. know where it is. Where is it? I don't know where it is. I tour drive. <laughs> we got in the car. We went all the way to Lower Stoff. This is after selling out 10,000 at Wembley on a Wednesday. On a Thursday, I went to Lower Stoft. And there was a guy at the back who was heckling. <laughs> <laughs> Not even heckling. I think he was just 
he was just disruptive and talking and then people tend to shut up then the staff kicked him out and apparently he took a swing at one of the staff yeah. they kicked him out and the police turned up and tasered him <laughs> so he was in the wow. yeah he got tasered and somebody filmed it him getting tased and screaming and i was going to share it but i thought it was a bit out of order so i didn't share the video and then i swung the microphone on stage when i was doing a physical routine back to lauren and hardy i'm yeah. not as good as them and i smashed my front tooth off nice chipped it on stage now if that happened at wembley it's ten thousand. it's worth it what happens in front of 300 people at lower stuff <laughs> it takes away some of the glamour then uh. i had to go and get a filling the next day and then i went to a chinese a few weeks ago in chinatown and I bit into a stone they had on the food and it chipped off again. No. So now I've got half a tooth yeah. because of lower stuffed. Yeah. But the thing about when you do suffer from downs in stand-up is you just got to get back up on stage. Even when I go and perform in front of 100 people and try out new material, you still get that hit. When you're depressed, when you get on stage, does it go away for that it, moment? Yeah, for that time. moment. It's, yeah. it's something. Comics, I mean, it's, it's a bit cliched and say it's... A, it's a need. It's almost a calling. Mm. And it's something that you need to do. It's not something that you do because it's your job. If I w I'd still be doing this. If, if, if I wasn't getting paid for this, I'd still be doing it. The more I started being me on stage is when the audiences came to me in the masses because they could relate to me and think, These, this guy's actually someone who I can relate to as one of us and talking about mental health issues and things like that is what they see. And they see a part of themselves in me. Now that's good on stage, but when I come off and they put their arms around me and touch me up and stuff, that's when it goes a bit too far. Because <laughs> they think you're your mate afterwards. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. So how did you get on stage then at 24, did you say? Yeah, I was about 24, almost 25. I, I, I wanted to start when I was 17. I... I bottled it, left it, and then I did a computer science degree, dropped out of that. Then I did a media degree. I thought, I ain't got a job. Might as well get out there and see what happens. Uh, it was probably one of the most scary moments of my my life, just to get up. A five-minute set. is Five minutes is a long time when you've just, um, when you've just written five minutes. It wasn't really, it's not really you because you're kind of just getting yeah. up there for the first time. I remember it was, uh, I was on last after like, 
I think I was about 12, 13 comedians on stage. Starts eight, you're on at 11. You're lucky if anyone's left in the room. It was a place called, um, it was opposite Selfridges, this little wine bar downstairs. And then afterwards, two guys held up the club and tried to mug everyone, go into a fight. And I crept out through the back, through the kitchen and went outside and called the police and thought, this is what I need to be doing for the rest of my life. <laughs> this is my calling, you know. Did you, did you, were you any good or did you bomb the first night? I got laughs. Did you? Yeah. And Have they, you always got laughs? No, I think, I, I think the second time I did really well. I think the third time I bombed quite badly because I thought this is easy. Yeah. I can write a new set. Yeah. And another show, and you can't. No, <laughs> you have to no, make yeah. those. I think, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a natural. Yeah. I probably wasn't, but I understand. It takes years. I understand it's one of those things that's in your blood. And when you go up there and you, you, you don't care whether you bomb, you go, I'm going back up there. Whereas yeah. the idea terrifies me. The worst thing is when you do a gig and you, and you used to have bad gigs and then you don't get up on stage for a while and you remember the bad gig. You need to get up as soon as, soon possible. as possible. Yeah, It's getting back on that horse again, isn't mm. it? So... Um, doesn't seem to be that many Asian comedians, more so now coming through. You're but, welcome. Uh, You're welcome. Are you helping yeah, them? Was, a, think, are you helping them through? Were you one of the first? You think to? I think well, probably what in England, yeah. yeah. If anything, um, there was a handful of us in mid '98. So there was Omid Jalili, who's Iranian, Shapi Korsandi, Iranian, Russell Peters from America, Canadian. He lives in America, but he's Canadian Indian. Uh, myself. There weren't many around. Paul Sinha. Bengali, but Indian comics, there were few and far between in those days. And I remember, because I started off with people like Jimmy Carr, McIntyre, Russell Brand, and I broke into the clubs quite quite soon after starting. Is it, was it, again, I'm worried about asking this question, but I'm going to do it anyway. What's it like being an Asian man then growing up in Britain? Because we, we were asking, we've asked quite a lot of people I have on this podcast, mm. what it's like to be a man at the moment. Yeah. Um, I'm sure it's slightly different to be an Asian man because there is a different, maybe set of guidelines. I'm surmising. Yeah. Um, well, when I grew up, I was born in the 70s, mid 70s. It was very different. England was a very different place. Um, with political correctness now and the words you can you, you could there were racial slurs being thrown out in the street a lot of the times you'd walk home from school you're lucky if you didn't get into a fight um, my dad was involved in a racist attack he took 50 stitches to the face wow. and they tried to, tried to murder him and his brothers I've I've been in similar situations but these are things I did discuss in previous shows but it's like Police didn't really do much in those days, but there was quite a common occurrence. Nowadays, that would kind of be a bit newsworthy, but it does still happen. I'd get the P word shouted out to me on stage in the early 2000s, even mid 2000s, but nowadays it's a criminal offence. But it wasn't that. It was a punchline in a sitcom pre watershed in those days. You know, so it's a very different time, England, now than it is then. It's almost fashionable to a certain degree. It's, you know, to. What are the cultural appropriation, they say? Yeah, yeah. There was no cultural appropriation in the 80, early 80s. Women weren't wearing saris, you know, who weren't Indian. Women wearing saris in those days and they'd get spat out on the street. It was a very different time. To have lived through both periods, it's quite, um, it's, uh, it's like living through not having a mobile phone and having a mobile phone, um, but not, not as dangerous, obviously. But it was, it was, it was a scary time. We're here for Movember. Do you think being a, a, an Asian man at the moment can lead to uh, mental health issues because of 
not feeling accepted sometimes? Well, you know, it's interesting you say Asian man because I discussed this in the show as well. Mental health isn't a thing that was discussed within certain communities and it was almost a taboo. You were seen as a bit of a, bit of a nutter right. if you suffer from depression or you were sad and it's disguised by people turning to alcohol because it's not something was, that was discussed. And the fact that I've discussed it with my audience did have quite, quite a strong effect because they were like, well, somebody's actually spoken to us about this and he's Asian. Whereas it wasn't something that was on the forefront. Um, you have to confine by certain look, regulation, you know, get married by a certain age, have your degree by a certain age, have kids by a certain age. I've not really done any of those. <laughs> yeah. So almost as if that probably helps people because I think, well, if he's a failure, I can be a failure. <laughs> <laughs> not really a failure. Well, <laughs> do, so do you feel pressure then? Because you're like a complete role model for these guys then. When you look at it like that, but you can't think about that too much because then it would be too much too much to carry on your shoulders. But I don't really think about when I go out in front of Wembley Arena, I don't think oh, there's 10,000 out there. I think it's my audience that have come to watch me and it's a group of people that have come to laugh. If you start thinking about how much of an effect you can have on someone's life, that would probably be a lot more difficult to carry. Yeah. So I still see 10,000 the same as I do 200. What, all right, what do you what do you think it is to be a man in this day and age at the moment then what's your perspective of it you know like we're, we're in a grooming salon yeah. there were none of these places around when i was younger yeah you go to the barbers now you've got all these waxes and these potions and stuff i remember when i plucked my eyebrows when i was younger in the middle even that wasn't accepted in those mm. days you were seen as almost feminine to get rid of stray hairs yeah and now men are getting waxes I've done some laser treatment on myself. I won't show you, obviously, on camera. Oh. You know, when I'm topless and stuff, you want to look good. Oh. And you, you know, you, I think I'm giving them too much information. Here. <laughs> <laughs> um, working out, um, being well kept. Wasn't a real man in those no. days. You were seen as, uh, they used to call you a Nancy and stuff. Remember in those days? Yeah. when you, It was quite offensive. And, and now with with gender identity you can be anything mm. i think there's a limit to a certain degree but it's like you can look after yourself wear nice clothes look good um without having that stigma attached to it anymore there were none of these types of places and i wish there were when i was younger maybe i would have found a girlfriend when i was younger but <laughs> <laughs> instead of looking like a manimal yeah um, how did you, how did you, uh, did you just deal with your depression by just going on stage all the time or did you? Did yeah, you ever, I mean, did you that's, never... yeah, you're just going up on stage. It wasn't something that was discussed, uh, you know, years ago. It wasn't something you'd even talk to your mates about. That's yeah. bad. Yeah. It's yeah. Really bad. It was, you know, back to the show. I mean, I've, women do talk about and open up about their emotions and men keep it pent up. And that's quite a stereotypical thing for men to do, but not as much anymore. I think it's opening up more to, to discuss those types of things. But I think we could take a leaf from, from the female mm. handbook and say, you know, this is something that should, should really be. Something I've uh, talked to a few people on this podcast about is, can you cry? Are you able to cry? 
now. Do I don't. I don't mean on demand now. Oh, right, I yeah. mean to, in when a, I'm acting. In a, yeah, yeah it's when you're uh, when you're miserable as a stress relief, can you cry? If it helps, I think it's you quite, can because I struggle. You, you struggle. Mm. Bring me around one day. I'll talk do you about. You might cry. <laughs> I've done it on stage a few times for a few people. I'm sure it would be too difficult. Um, you know, I lost my mum when I was four years old. For example, I didn't cry. You know, you don't quite understand that at the time. Uh, and did that have an adverse effect on me growing up? Uh, did that then create me to keep my emotions pent up? You know, now I'm old enough to understand those kinds of emotions. It's quite an interesting way of looking at it. Um, your childhood is quite important when it comes to these things, you know. Yeah, has, has your mum's death changed in your mind throughout the years? Yeah, then when you get older, you start to understand it. And now... I'm a year older than she was when we lost her. When you're young, you just, I remember my auntie came to my house and I went to her, my auntie's house, she lives in Manchester. And she came to see my mum and I said, she's asleep. You know, I thought she'd just gone to sleep and she'll wake up one day. But you don't quite understand that, you know. It's a tough thing for a four-year-old to deal with, mm. isn't it? You know, you, you realise at that, age, you know, try not to cry now, you know. Mm. But it's um, it's it's just something that when you're younger, you 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 brought into the adult world quite quickly, so that kept kept me quite young for a long time. So I wanted to stay as quite childlike for quite a long time in my life. So I didn't quite grow up. I was quite immature, and want to see the world as it should be seen when you grow older. So maybe I've matured a little bit later because of that because you're introduced to very adult topics very young can you throughout the whole time did you have anyone to talk to about this no no so my brother and sister were a bit old my brother's 62 now my sister's 60 but um <clears throat> they 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 had it they probably were affected more by it because they understood it but when you're younger you know i saw a lot of things that i shouldn't have seen when i was that age so when you discuss these things on stage and people have been through similar situations now, can I bring those experiences to help people, you know, in, in these kinds of months and in with my stand-up? And as we mentioned, we're going sort of full circle here really, is that I'd say comedy is so important because it's a way of approaching all these subjects, but mm. in a way that we can all understand because we can have a laugh with it and humour is just yeah. the greatest. See. When the emotions attached to something, yeah, it's it's very difficult to talk about. But when you discuss it on stage and show both sides and relieve it, it's a stress valve, isn't it? It's very pent up. And to discuss that on stage took me a long time because I had to be skilled enough as a comic, right, to bring it up without the emotion being attached to it. Um, because we hold emotion to a lot of issues we suffer from, and and once you start to balance positives and the negatives to certain situations you can tend to discuss things a little bit easier but i mean this is just the way i'm not saying what i the way i approach these issues is right or wrong it's just the way i deal with it you know so your comedy specials on amazon at the moment are you writing a new show as we speak trying to you know <laughs> how's That's, it going it's always an interesting experience and i go to the small clubs do a few minutes here and there and that just keeps me alive. Stand up is something that keeps me 
just keeps me going. Are you? Do you write the joke before you go on stage, or do you write it on stage? Sometimes on. <laughs> you know, sometimes the story will hit the news on the day, like the Extinction Rebellion march when the guys jumped on the tube and tried to try to stop. And I did that whole routine and released it online that day. But those kinds of things are very topical. So, but if it's something that we were discussing earlier, which is a bit deeper, that takes a long time to write and you have to think about it. When you talk about even the Michael Jackson documentary I discussed, it's not an easy routine to, no. to pull off. Paul, thank you so much for doing this. Oh, thanks for having Fantastic. me. Fantastic. Brilliant. Change the face of men's health. For more information or to support Movember, head to movember.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.